You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane. Since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 555 for April 28th, 2021. On today's show, violinist Sana Nagano. As you're listening to this, I am in Pennsylvania, but I am leaving on Friday, if you're listening to this when it's released. I'm leaving in a couple days for upstate New York to visit my sister, and then maybe heading to Connecticut and maybe heading, well, definitely heading to Vermont, maybe heading to Connecticut in between. I, I haven't decided yet, waiting to uh, see if a friend wants to get together. But then going up to the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont, where I think I've passed through but never really spent much time. Uh, I only have two friends from high school, and one of them lives up there, and I haven't seen her in a long time, so uh, can I go up and, and hang? You can probably tell that I left the van's side door open because uh, it's really hot today. It's, it hasn't been warm at all here in central PA since I've been here. But today it got up into the high 70s. And so there, are, even though I'm on a suburban street, there are some cars passing from time to time. But that's only for the intro. Uh, I did the interview at another time entirely. So you won't <laughs> you won't hear this all throughout the show. The way I'm able to keep making this show and, quite honestly, to stay alive on the road, like it is as fine a point as that. (laughs) Uh, That's how I eat, how I put guests in the van. I do all of that because listeners like you become members. So please become one today for 5 or 10 bucks a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. You get bonus episodes and early access and all kinds of cool stuff. Sana Nagano's new album is called Smashing Humans. Sana Nagano, welcome to the Jazz Session. Thank you. I'm very excited to have you on the show because I love your new record, Smashing Humans. I've listened to it many times at very loud volume, and uh, just I really, really love it. It's a fabulous record. Thank you so much. That's so that's that's really, really great to hear it. Um, yeah, that you enjoyed my album. Let's uh, before we dive into the music. Let's just start right off by talking about uh, the band, because the band just sounds so good together on this record, and you know everybody sounds so sympathetic to the music. And uh, I'm just um, let's start right off by telling folks who they are. 
So in my band are uh, on saxophone, I have Peter Applebaum on guitar, I have Keisuke Matsuno and Joe Hertenstein on drums and Kim Filiano on bass. So talk about how you put that particular band together, first of all. How did you how did you decide on this group of people? I will start with Keisuke. I know him, uh, I think, knowing him uh, the longest. So Keisuke um, and I have been friends in New York City for about 10 years. I found him first in a jazz jam session about 10 years ago, um, and we became good friends immediately. And, uh, yeah, we played in many different groups, ensembles, projects, and also we have been just uh, been just good friends and being a drinking buddy for um, this past time, uh, 10 years. Um, Which is about, and, that's uh, about the whole time mm-hmm. that you've lived in New York, right? Uh, 10 years ago was about mm-hmm. when you moved to New York? Yeah, when I first came to, uh, yeah, that's about 10, 11 years, I think. But okay. yeah, he, he's one of the first friends, yeah. Wow, that's great. So you, right right away, you met someone who you're still playing with all this time later. That's that's pretty unusual. That's cool. Um, yeah, yeah, very much. He, um, yeah, I'm really happy to have um, one of the very, close friends playing in my band. So yeah, that's Keisuke, Peter Applebaum, um, and Ken Fiano. I met them um, in Carl Berger's Improvisers Orchestra that I've been playing for, again, about, I think about 10 years, actually. Um, I became friends with them a little bit later, um, but we started, uh, I started playing in, in many different Carl Berger's um, projects, and then Ken and Peter are often in the main group that's uh, accompanying um, Carl. And uh, so I ended up just playing and like seeing them and just talking with them every time I play in Carl's um, projects or orchestras. And yeah, I just love the way they sound. And we just, I don't know, we just connected. We just, just became good friends. I also met um, Joe Hertenstein um, a while ago. Um, I met him also in Carl Berger's um, group. I saw him and we played a few times there too um, but I became cl- closer friends with Joe um, when both of us played in um, guitarist Javi Valdez's project the album is called um, Point Counterpoint and that's um, his um, Harvey's uh, Harvey Valdez Trio's project and album and we and that's how, how I met um, Joe in this um, band uh, in, in a trio um, and the album uh, is out in 2014. Um, so yeah, through that process of Harvey Valley's trio, um, I got to know Joe's sound and also, you know, we became good friends and um, yeah, I just thought that his sound would, and the way he plays will fit perfectly in the stuff that I'm trying to do with Smashing Humans. We'll be right back. 
you use the word friend to describe all of those people. Right. Is, is a personal connection as important to you or equally important uh, as a as a musical connection when you're forming a group? Yes, very much. It is very important for me. Um, well, it's, it's not that we have to be like best friends or anything, um, but I... I don't know. I just feel like, especially for Smashing Humans, it's very much about just me doing what I want to do. Um, so it is a personal project. I don't know. It's just the way we play. I just feel like it's not that we have to be friends, but also I think I want to. I wanted the people who kind of mm, what is it like? We feel kind of, kind of comfortable in the same space. So knowing their personalities or the vibes um, were important, especially in this project. It's just that this band is very much, I don't know, I, I would say it's more like a little, uh, I wouldn't say family, but it's like a musical family. I think the trust is important for the sound that I wanted for Smashing Humans. Yeah, I needed to just pick the, the, the people who support each other musically and that's that was my uh, focus and concentration when I was trying to pick these people, but ended up being good friends with each other. Um, and I ended up becoming closer friends in the process of all the different projects. And also, while we're doing Smashing Humans, I feel like I became closer to them. So it just was natural natural thing um, that we became friends as a band. <laughs> You just described this project as you getting to do what you want to do. Does that feel different than other things you've been involved in? Um, uh, some other stuff, it's different. I always try to do what I wanted to do, but when I, I always try to play the way I want to do, I think. But um, that depends on if I'm playing other people's projects, I can't, you know, I, I can't just like do whatever I want. So, um so I have been a side musician for a long time, um, and I've been enjoying so much of it. And but then I started realizing that I also have my own, uh, you know, stuff that I wanted to put out and create and see what happens. So, uh, what is it? So that's kind of why, um, yeah, that's that's kind of why I wanted to have this project um, just to do just to kind of compose and do anything I wanted to do. And then in other people's projects or in other projects that I do with other, you know, with my friends like AstroTurf or Peach and Tomato, um, that's more like um, collective effort to kind of get going with the project. So, 
yeah, in terms of the percentage, I think Smashing Humans is like more like higher percentage of just me doing what I want to do. And some other projects, it's a little less or mixed, a combination of other people's um, goals and, uh, yeah, the stuff that they want to do. You can tell me if this is an impossible question to answer, but is there any are there things you can point to on the album and say, this is an example of something I've been wanting to do and I was able to make it happen on this record? Oh, wow. I mean, <laughs> I think all of them very much. Um, I, I would say that I was able to do what I wanted to do. I w- I think um, more more than I think it just turned out to be more um, more what is it <laughs> interesting than I thought it was going to be originally. Um, but this music, I wrote the compositions um, very strictly, and everybody learned it very you know strictly. We rehearsed a lot, and then um, I let um, people after we learn all the songs. I really like to let people do whatever they wanted to do within that music uh, when we perform. But a lot of the songs that we worked on, um, just just because I think that the way we um, rehearsed um, and played together, naturally it turned out to be the stuff that I, the sound that I wanted to sound. In a way, all of them are kind of record it and it happens, happens in a moment. Um, and I'm trying not to control too much of the result. And um, it's kind of like we're approaching to each of the songs like it is free improv. It's not, but it, I wanted to approach the written music as it is free improv almost. So that's how I developed all these songs. And uh, my, I would say probably Low Dinner One was, um, it's, it's, it's one of the, it's the newest song, songs in the, in this album. And I feel like that one really did, I was able to put like a little bit of jazz stuff that, that I like, the jazz sound that I think it is jazz. And that was in there. And also a lot of, yeah, free improv and, rhythmic stuff i feel like yeah loud dinner one it has a bit of every more different elements that i really like so i would say that's the song that can express the stuff the sounds and the music style that i wanted to include A brief break from the interview to remind you about membership. This show has been going for 14 years now. We're at episode 555, which seems a little ridiculous. And the way to keep it going for many years into the future is to convert from a listener to a member. It's super cool that you listen, and I really appreciate that. But the way that I'm able to keep making the show is because you kick in a few bucks. If $5 a month is more than you can afford, I totally get it. I've been in that place too, and I'm not too far from that place right now. Uh, But if you can see your way to 5 bucks a month, it makes an enormous difference for me. It quite literally fuels both my vehicle in which I live and my body also in which I live. So uh, please go to thejazzsession.com slash join and become a member right now. Thanks.
it was interesting when I first started listening to this record. There's there are some places where it's very clear the material is written because you know it's intricate and everybody's playing it together. <laughs> but then there are places, a lot of places on the record where I was thinking, well, this could be written or it could be improvised, and I can't really tell. And I I really like that gray area where you're not quite sure what's planned and what's not. Like that feeling of uh, uh, uncertainty, maybe. Uh, so I'd be curious to know kind of how, how that worked in your compositions and in the recording. Yes, yeah, strictly we follow the composition um, that I wrote, and it has a lot of notes on it. Um, so we all learn it. And then once we learn and own it, uh, we, we kind of let go. We are able to let go a little more when we're recording and playing. Um, so we did have a lot of gigs, uh, live gigs before we recorded. it. Um, and I did want to, I wanted to make an album that sort of sounds like it is, um, it is, um, being performed live. I just wanted to have more of the, uh, I don't know, like freedom and aliveness, all free improv being captured <laughs> along with the written materials. And it is my intention to make, to blur the line between the composed stuff and improvised stuff. So in a way, I'm happy to hear that, that that's something that, that, that you uh, mentioned because I, that, that was my purpose. I wanted to, again, blur the, the lines of improv or I wanted to blur, blur or mix up the line of uh, I would say fade the boundaries between different elements. Um, that that was my my uh, I think core maybe concept of this band and music. So I want to ask you a question about your past because uh, we share a thing in common, which is that we were both exchange students, and mm -hmm. uh, you went to Oregon, right? As an exchange student, is that right? Yeah. Uh huh. And was that during high school? That was in high school, yeah. Yeah. So um, at that time, did you have any plan to like come back here or think about living in the States? Or was it just, were you still too kind of early in your life to have that kind of a plan going on? When I was in Oregon, I think I had, I always had this feeling that I was going to come to New York. Um, yeah, I just kind of knew it, I think, always. And Oregon, that's not really where I picked. Um, it's more like the, the exchange student. Uh, company um, picks the spot at uh, the place and they just send high schoolers to those spots. Um, so I didn't choose Oregon, um, but I, 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 I knew that I wasn't going to so much stay in Oregon for a long time. Um, I knew I always wanted to live in a, you know, a little more big, uh, bigger city with more diversity. Um, I knew that that's something that I really needed. I'm also from Tokyo, so um, New York just made a little more sense to me just to live in because of how, you know, the fast pace and subways and the convenience um, of, all, you know, the stores being open and stuff um, and the people. I just kind of need the, the environment maybe um, uh, at the time. It's not that I always want to live in a big city, but um, so, yeah, that's, that's yeah, I, it's like I always knew I wanted to come to New York City. <laughs> And 
So back when you were younger and you were thinking about coming to New York, was that because you were expecting to have a career as a professional musician? Is that what you were imagining? Mm, I mean, in, when I was in high school, there, this was the time when I was in Oregon. That's I. What is it? I stopped playing violin when I was fourteen, and I and I I was taking a break for a year or two um, as a teenager, just because I wasn't. I don't know. I was. I wanted to just maybe kind of figure out what I if if being a violinist was really the thing that I wanted to do. So I was taking a little break and just checking things out. I I don't think I was trying to be a violinist at that time at this year, but like the year after, I changed my mind. How that happened? It's because I was in Oregon and they put me into some um, orchestra classes. Me, I, I made a good friend and get, who could, you know who was being trained as to be a classical violinist. Um, and then we became good friends. And, and my friend said, "Hey, why, why are you not going to pursue if you can play so well?" And and then I just kind of thought, "Okay, why not?" <laughs> so I decided to just kind of study uh, violin again, classical violin at that time. So tell me, tell me about how you got from the world of classical violin to what we hear on Smashing Humans, which is a, a pretty decent-sized jump. Yeah. Um, well, classical violin, I, I went to University of Memphis, Tennessee after Oregon. Why? Because, I don't know, I had, some, I had a teacher in Japan for a short ter- time after Oregon, um, just to keep up with the practice. And then this teacher knew someone who was teaching at the University of Memphis, and they gave me um, full tuition uh, scholarship to study classical violin. So I was like, okay, I'll go. <laughs> um, I was 18, so I wasn't really, I don't know, everything was adventure for me at that time. Um, and I went to Memphis, and I studied classical music for two years, but then I got a little bored of it. Um, and I also wanted to, again, move to somewhere, somewhere that's more diverse because I was just checking out all these places to see how it is and, um, exper- as an experience. But I, I, oh, I always knew that I didn't, again, want to end up in Oregon or in Memphis. Um, so I don't know if I was clear about coming to New York City and do, like, improvisation or, you know, jazz or composition or... I don't think I had that clearly in words in my mind, but that just, I think, as, I don't know, like, it was, it was always there as an idea, I think. Like, the smell of it was there. So after Memphis, you went to Berkeley? Uh, yes, I went to, yeah, I went to Berkeley in Boston. Yes, because I got, again, 
uh, yeah, a little uh, tired of. So, yeah, I, uh, someone at the time told me that, oh, if you want to do, like, non-classical music, there's a school called Berkeley. Um, a classical musician told me that. And then, so I was like, okay, then I'll go to Boston. Um, so, in, and then I, uh, my grandfather um, was supportive of um, pursuing um, pursuing my college, so he supported me. I think so. So as my um, my uh, mother's side, mother's side, um, grandmother also helped. I think, um, but some of the grandparents helped out, and so I was very, very lucky to be able to go to Berkeley um, that way. And so, was it um, there where you started to get more serious about improvising? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when I first went to Berkeley, I didn't even know what jazz was um, so much. I mean, of course, I've heard of it a little bit, but not as much. Um, and I went there just to just thinking that I wanted to do something that's not just classical music, and that was like anything is new music coming from classical music. So um, I didn't really know the difference between you know the, the terminology of like you know that's, that's pop. I mean. I guess I knew pop, but like uh, I just learned way more different the existence of different genres of music in Berkeley, and to me they were all exciting and new, has beats in it, and you know it's just very different from classical music. Um, the idea of improvisation and composition was just so fascinating for me. Um, growing up, I always played you know classical violin, um, and uh, I was always wondering how people would. Uh, people would, um, yeah, just improvise and compose. I just didn't know. It, it felt like crazy thing at the time um, to, to improvise and to, to compose out of nothing. Because as classical musicians, we always have something in front of us. And I mean, of course, I memorize things. Um, but still, I, I, you know, I'm copying from someone else playing, you know, the, 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 you know, the written music most of the time. So, um, the idea of improvisation, just to be able to do what I wanted to do over my on my instrument, was just an amazing idea um, for me. I was 21, and so I um, at first I was like, I don't know, maybe I want to do like Bjork stuff because I really liked Bjork at that time, and I still like Bjork. But um, I sort of wanted to do like you know, I, I really like that the fact that she's doing just expressing herself honestly with her music. Um, so I guess she's not really improvising maybe as much, but maybe as a composer and creator, uh, I was very fascinated by what she does. So I was like, oh, I kind of want to do, make music like that or something. I think I had that in my mind. And then I had some jazz friends who were just like really serious about jazz. Um, and then we took uh, like an ensemble class together. Um, and uh, and everybody played jazz way better because <laughs> <laughs> I was a classical violinist and everybody could just kill it. It was so good. Um, I had some, you know, friends, I think, uh, friends, uh, some, some friends from Europe. I had some European friends and then they were young and they were just so amazing. Uh, so I wanted to catch up with them so bad. <laughs> so I just practiced really my ass off just so that I could play with them um, and catch up with them. But, and then a lot of my friends um, helped me. <laughs> I remember I lived with some uh, jazz 
a singer friend and some other, you know, just all jazz people. And then I didn't know who Philonius Monk was. And then I remember my roommate at the time made fun of me. Um, <laughs> and it's funny now, but I was like sad at the time. I was like, oh, I want to know. I want to know everything that everybody knew. So I was like a ball of, I don't know, just uh, I was on fire just to catch up with everybody. And I just wanted to play with everybody. So I had to raise my rating higher um, in order to, to join some ensembles in Berkeley in order to play with some of my friends and as well. So I just had to, I just had to practice and make sure I do my work so that my rating goes higher so I can meet these like cool teachers or cool friends to play with. So it started like that in the beginning and then soon I, I caught up because I mean, I, I think I always knew what music was to me. Um, so uh, all the classical training of course helps so much um so i caught up um um you know but <laughs> I, I was crazy just practicing to catch up in berkeley one more break from the interview to thank the folks who make this show possible starting with the members who support it and also the respect sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music Dave Rabel for the logo, and Chuck Ingersoll for the voice of the intro. You can hire him at hearchucknow.com. Follow The Jazz Session on Twitter at jazzsesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, and on Instagram at The Jazz Session. Take a second right now to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, which greatly improves my ability to reach new listeners. If you'd like to keep up to date on my podcast, my poetry, my van travels, and more, subscribe to my newsletter. Just go to thejazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link. Now back to the episode. Once you moved to New York, was it connections from Berkeley that helped you find your way around, or how did you start navigating a new scene? Um, okay, yeah. So I went to New York because I lived in Boston for five years, and at the time, I think I was probably 24, 25, and then I was like, okay, I'm, I think I'm, I, I'm ready to go to somewhere else again. I, I just kind of felt like that, so right after the graduation, I came to New York City, um, and, uh, the first thing I was just doing, just like kind of perfecting, I don't know if it's perfecting is the right word, but I was just playing and trying to just, just get better. I, I think I was just blindly trying to be a jazz musician, <laughs> like a, that can play jazz music, like jazz standard stuff. Um, so I was, I was, I went to this jazz and uh, what is it? Jam session, like every night at small, fat cat, um, Cleopatra's needles. 
needle needles um needle i think um one needle and needle <laughs> okay so uh and, and that's kind of, that's where actually where i found case he was hosting a jam session as a sub um and then uh, so we played jazz standards together in the beginning um and it, that's my first year and then i kind of like lost i don't know i just couldn't really find uh a good i don't know like I, I couldn't i wasn't even ready to get my artist visa in the first year and um you know it's not it's not it wasn't the first year wasn't so much about career it was some more about just you know, figuring things out and getting, you know, kind of finishing up my study at Berkeley just to kind of keep practicing and meet people. I just wanted to get better. That was more like the first year. And then, of course, my time ran out and my visa is expiring. So I'm just like, okay, now I have to do something. Um, and then, and then, um, and then uh, I went to Queens College really um, just to, I don't know, it was, it was again one of those things that like I wasn't really sure. Maybe it wasn't something that I was, like, trying to do, but now if I look back, I, I, I see that going to school was, was, was um, very meaningful because it gave me time. And also, um, Queen's College study was so much about bebop and jazz, like, older, older jazz music, um, bebop and older stuff. Um, so, and I studied with Antonio Hart, um, saxophonist, and uh, and I appreciate a lot of the study I did with at school at Queens College. You know, it was it was great. But then, um, and I, it's like it was great. But then I wanted to always do a little more modern jazz, um, and Queens College is more like older jazz. So I I did all the work and I love loved it, but I wanted more. Um, you know, more, I don't know, just more different sounds, different music. So I started going out again. Um, and uh, actually in Queens College, uh, I met my friend Leonor Falcon. She's another jazz violinist that I have, uh, you know, Peach and Tomato Strings built together. Um, so she, I think she told me that there's, uh, uh, you know, jazz group, the violin that includes violin playing in jazz gallery. Um, something like that, and she—I think she found them first, and them meaning Carburger. Um, so we went with our instruments, <laughs> just because there are not so many jazz violins. Maybe we have a little more now, but at the time it was a lot. It was um, very small number. Um, so we I, we just wanted some, you know, some. We wanted to just figure out ways to to use violin in improvising setting because a lot of the time, you know, if they if, if, if a regular jazz band wants Usually they, they have horns uh, or, you know, stuff like that. A little bit of the instrument. So, so we wanted, we want, we're looking for places to just kind of to be. And Carl Berger was there. And in his big group, Improvisers Orchestra, there were some strings there too. So I talked to Carl after the show saying, that was great. I really loved it. And he goes, what do you play? And I said, I play the one. And he was like, okay, we'll bring it the next time. So... I brought it the next time when they had a gig and I played it and they, they let me just improvise it with them. And, and then I loved it in so much. I had such a great time the first, uh, first time when I played with them. Um, and yeah, that's, and, and, and then I'm brainwashed after with, the, with the, <laughs> uh, this kind of, you know, improvising music. I, I went to ev- every car, uh, every uh, performance of Carl's, um, improvises orchestra. I didn't miss a thing, and I, <laughs> I just wanted to. I was like a sponge. 
Um, so yeah, I started just going out and talking and talked to Matt and too, and took some lessons from him. Um, and you know, which was very inspiring um, to me. Um, I love the way he plays on his viola. So um, and just started meeting people outside. And yeah, it's it's more like. I think I really liked the sound of it that I wanted to figure out. I think a lot of the time it was like that with the jazz or avant-garde music. It's like, how can I do this? I already could play classical music and I knew, uh, um, you know, decent amount of things about classical music. So I think that for me, like, it was just so interesting that people could just do this different kind of things with music. And I just wanted to know so much. So I just kind of, yeah, went with it. about the title smashing humans where did that come from <laughs> yeah so smashing humans uh what is it um i think that this project has a lot to do with my curiosity about people and humans and you know what are we doing here what what did what did we mess up or you know what are we doing in here on this planet um, and this world, and in, there, there are things that I like about humans, and there are things that I, that I question about humans. Um, so I, I think it was kind of like an experiment it, uh, for me to try to figure out life and, and, and humans and people and my own tendencies through music. Um, so I think in a way humans kind of came natural to me. Um, Smashing, I think smashing is, I forget where that came from. Um, yeah, smashing, I think it's probably a little, you know, joke that I was talking with friends at the time about, like, you know, smashing uh, pumpkins. Um, and also, I had an, uh, also, there's a, a, a video game called <laughs> Smashing Brothers that, so, um, so I, I, my, my ex-boyfriend actually was really into this video game. Um, and also my brother was very into it when he was very young. Um, so it's from Nintendo, and we grew up with that. So I don't know. It was like a little bit of, um, I don't know. I do like to put my personal things or that I see in my daily life into my music. And it's just that... Um, it just, I just thought it was a nice combination. And then I asked the friends around to see if they liked the name and they liked it too. So I'm just like, okay, 
I'll do this will be a smashing humans. I feel a little bit bad in the beginning because that feels like we're, you know, smashing people. Um, but then I also found that smashing can mean also just different uh, mean, meaning um, in English. So I just was like, okay, well, this, is, this sounds good. This looks good, smashing humans. I like the name, so I'll keep it. So that's kind of where the name came from. It's improvised, basically. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> My guest for this episode has been violinist Sana Nagano. Her new album is called Smashing Humans, and it is fabulous, and you should definitely get it. Sana, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. Thanks to my guest this week, Sana Nagano. If you value what you just heard, become a member for 5 or $10 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. Then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.